54, we're going to do a quick session this afternoon. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Anybody ever make a New Year's? Oh, wow, okay. How many of you resolved, I will never again make a New Year's resolution? Okay, that's the one you kept, right? How long do New Year's resolutions usually last? Yeah, like a week, 10 days. And what do most New Year's resolutions have to do with? Food and doing something. Yeah, it's true. The top 10 New Year's resolutions, I looked them up in the last couple of years. They always have to do with diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. It's funny. And uh, places like Planet Fitness, you know, no judgment zone, they will have a huge upswing of people signing up. $10 a month and people sign up. And in January, they'll be in there sweating and doing whatever. And about mid-January, they empty out again. And uh, so it goes. Well, I want to talk to you about decisions that will affect your daily life. I heard a preacher say one year, uh, one year when I was uh, first starting in evangelism, you know, maybe what we need is not New Year's resolutions, but just some manageable goals that can help our lives. And so we're going to talk about daily disciplines for this session. Daily disciplines. Somebody said, nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. Think about that. That's a good statement. Nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. Okay, think of some things that dominate teenagers' lives. Phones. Yeah, somebody said phones. Video games. TV. Friends. Yeah, okay. Now I'm going to say a name, and you're going to tell me what dominated this person's life. Now I'm going to go with the name Michael. Okay, so I'm going to say um, a certain topic, and you tell me what Michael I'm talking about. Uh, basketball. Michael Jordan. No, not what he did. <laughs> Michael Jordan. We were talking about the topic was basketball and named Michael. Okay, swimming. Michael Phelps. Painting. Michael Angelo. Okay, so these people were known for what they did. Michael Jordan played basketball every day. Michael Angelo was a painter, sculptor. Um, Michael uh, Phelps was a swimmer. Michael Phelps did not show up at the Olympics and say, oh man, I got a week to go. Okay, time to get in the pool. He just did it all the time. And if you're a pro basketball player, you're going to play basketball all the time. Well, the word disciple actually comes from the term disciplined one. A disciple is a disciplined one. Okay, so think about this. The statement was nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. When I was a teenager, I remember seeing this uh, a quote. Somebody said, if you're in a country where it were, illegal, it were illegal to be a Christian and you got arrested, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's pretty convicting. If you lived in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian and you got arrested, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you? Remember when Daniel lived in uh, Babylon and the King Darius had written a decree that nobody could pray to anybody but him? How long did it take Daniel to get arrested? One day. Yeah, because remember what he did? Every day he prayed. Every day he prayed. He didn't start up a prayer life in protest. Well, that's not right. I'm praying to God. I'm going to start praying right now. You know, he did not do anything different. He did what he always did. Then he got thrown in the den of lions. Of course, God kept him alive. Amazing, amazing account of Daniel's life. And by the way, he was a teenager he, um, in uh, Daniel chapter 1 when he first goes into captivity. He and his buddies are between 13 and 16 years old. And that's when Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel 1.8. And so that's just that's all happening as a kid. So I'm going to 
teenager. I got saved, as I told you this morning, I was 10. Unfortunately, when I first got saved, we did not go to a church right away that preached the Bible. We had visited that open Bible Baptist church, but it was kind of far from our house. So my dad started visiting around Methodist churches because we'd grown up Methodist, thinking we got to find one that's preaching the Bible. So he spent four years looking for a church in our denomination that preached the Bible. Now some of you may have grown up Methodist. I know there's some Methodists that still preach the Bible. But where I grew up, they had all turned away from Bible-believing faith and did not preach the Bible. So we lost four years. So I'm, I'm 10 years old. I got saved, but I'm in public school and I'm getting no Bible. So I remember I got addicted to rock music as a teenager, and I am um, playing sports. I'm in football as a young kid, and and uh, I want to be a football player. And it was, it was some a few of you will appreciate this. Now I, I am an avid Kansas City Chiefs fan. I live in Kansas City, 15 minutes from Arrowhead Stadium. However, I grew up 20 minutes from Philadelphia. In the I was in New Jersey, but we lived right across from Philadelphia. I was a Sixers fan, a fan, Flyers fan, uh, a um, Phillies fan, and a Dallas Cowboys fan. Now that did not go over well in Philadelphia. Uh, my uncle had gone to college with Roger Staubach at Annapolis at the Naval Academy. And so my grandmother turned me into an avid Cowboys fan as a kid. So I was a gung-ho Dallas fan living among all Eagles fans. What are you, stupid? You know, they let me know their opinions. So here I am, I'm in public school. And I remember in my public school, I mean, back in the early 80s, junior high, uh, guys and girls making out in the hallway, kids passing drugs. I mean, so I'm a Christian, but I'm exposed to all this, and I don't have a clue how to stand for God. Okay, so I got saved, but what do I do? I'm, I'm listening to all kinds of raunchy music all the time. So my mom and dad finally, after four years, decided they're going to take us to a Bible-preaching church. And I remember we go to this little church, and it's um, about 60 people on a Sunday morning, and it's a little Baptist church. And they, these people, when they sing, they don't just sing like stand up where we grew up in church and they kind of just went through the ritual. They sang like they meant it, like they love God. And I'm in the youth group and uh, I remember one time, just to give you an idea, I'm being very transparent with you so you know that I, not all of us grew up in great churches where we were just like these perfectly good kids. I remember one time we were on this youth group trip. I'm new to the youth group, and the van hit a speed bump, and I hit my head because I've been this tall since I was 15, and I cussed in the back of the van. And somebody looked and like, what did you just say? I thought, oh, yeah, I'm with the church kids now, you know. Well, the sad thing is I'm a Christian, but I just hadn't been taught. I didn't know, I didn't know oh, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. So I thought, i got to change. i got to grow. I remember one of the kids in my youth group said, so what kind of music do you listen to? I'm wearing shirts that say Van Halen, ACDC. You know, this is my world. And uh, they said, don't you know that's bad? You think I might have an idea when all they sing about is sex and drugs and rebellion. But uh, I was like, no, that's what I listen to. Come on, man. Here, you, you need some new music. God's working in my heart. And I remember I thought, okay, how do I grow? I am so far behind these other kids. So we start going to church. My parents took us Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We're there all the time. So that's awesome. I'm starting to grow. And I am saved. So there is evidence of that because I have an appetite for the Bible. I want to grow now. I told you how I got saved. So now I'm growing. Well, I remember my parents went to this discipleship seminar. It was a week-long thing, and it was life-changing to them. And they said, you've got to go. Next time it comes around, we're going to take you. So I go to this week-long discipleship deal. Remember the preacher got up, and he said something. Grabbed my attention. He was about, about where I am in life now. I think he was in his 50s. And he said, I made a decision as a teenager that changed my life, impacted my life more than anything else. 
made a commitment that I would spend time in God's Word, meditating on God's Word, thinking about, chewing over God's Word every day from that point forward. And he said, here I am now as an adult, and I can look back and say I've never missed one day in all those years reading the Bible. And as a teen, I thought that would be incredible. I want to be the person who in their adult life can look back and say I never missed a day reading the Bible. Well, he was really wise. He said, you're not going to get there if you try to make this ambitious, lofty goal that's unattainable. A lot of people are like, from now on, I spend a half hour a day every day with God. If you're not spending five minutes with God every day, you're not going to spend a half hour every day. you got to grow there. So I thought, oh, that's good advice. So I made a promise to the Lord when I was 15 that I would never go to bed at the end of the day, wouldn't turn the light off, unless sometime during that day, I spent at least five minutes reading the Bible. Now you might like, five minutes? <sighs> I mean, that's like crumbs off the table. Yeah, I know. It was a starting point. Here's the deal. I never just spent five minutes reading the Bible. Even when I started, it was 10, 15 minutes. And then later on, I started becoming more consistent in my walk with God. And I'll tell you this, um, I'm now 55 and I look back. I was 15 when I made the decision. 40 years have gone by. I've never missed one single day reading the Bible in all those years of my life. Now, I'm not telling you that so you say, whoa, wow, guy reads the Bible every day. Guess what? I brush my teeth every day. <laughs> hey, I'm sure you're impressed, right? Uh, I get a bath or a shower every day. So we're like, I don't even do that. And you're wondering why you don't have a lot of friends. You ought to start there, okay? That will really help you. Uh, get a bath or a shower every day. We're just talking about hygiene. I eat every day. You're like, duh, me too. I mean, how many of you like me, you, you eat at least three meals a day, okay? Yeah, you know what? You make time to eat, you make time to bathe, you make time to brush your teeth, because they're important practices. But let me ask you this, when do you make time with God? So daily disciplines. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, and the first eight verses. Right, I want you to read along here. We're going to dive into it again. I call it daily disciplines, the key to being a disciple. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, specifically, that in the latter times, the last days, the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this next expression, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. In my Bible, I circled that uh, phrase there, nourished up. What's nourishment have to do with? How do you get nourishment? To get nourished, you have to what? Eat, yeah. So it has to do with eating. Feed up. Okay, get nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables. Notice the next phrase here. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Okay, so you have the concept of feed up and work out. Exercise yourself unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable to all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. All right, so let me break it down for you. Just for context, there is here in verses 1 to 5 a warning of lies to avoid. So if you want to make some notes, just jot that down. A warning of lies to avoid. And what are the lies? He said, what's it going to be like in the last days? Well, you, you don't have to wonder. You're living in them. 
fact, the last days started when Jesus ascended back to heaven. From His resurrection and ascension, we've been living in the last days. Now, what are they like? Well, the Bible tells us they're going to get, there'll be perilous times, they'll get worse and worse. Well, here, he says in these last days, there'll be people departing from the faith. Have any of you known kids that have grown up in school, and then they get to the age of graduation, and uh, they not only are done school, they're done church. They drop out of church, and you don't see them. They don't come back to church. Not, not just your church. They don't go to anybody's church anymore. Have you, any of you seen that happen? Yeah. You'll see it more and more. They've departed from the faith. They give heed to something else. They give heed to seducing spirits. What's another word for spirit? Angels or demons? Yeah. I, I jotted this down. These lies we're talking about were originated by demons. We're living in a world. There are, It's incredible. Have you noticed you're living in this woke culture where up is down and down is up? The Bible says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. It's incredible. You know, they, they defend abortion as if it's a moral right for a woman. Abortion is the murder of a child. There's nothing moral about defending, quote, a woman's right to an abortion. What, what if a woman decided, well, I got this two-year-old kid, but this kid is really cramping my lifestyle, and I'm just kind of tired of having this kid around. It's just, would it be right to take the child's life? You say, no way. Why is it different when the child's in the womb? That child has d distinct DNA from the mother. That's a living organism from the time of conception in the mother. We're not talking about a woman's right to her body. We're talking about that child's life to, uh, right to its own life. We're living in a culture where marriage is under attack. In fact, notice this. What are the lies? Verse 2, they speak lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. If you sear something with seething iron, it kills the nerve endings and there's no feeling, there's no sensitivity anymore. We live in a culture where people are so, so desensitized. I mean, think about these school shootings. Kids go in and blow up their classmates and think nothing of it. To them, it's no different than blowing somebody away on Call of Duty. <laughs> it's not a video game, folks. These are real people with real lives but their conscience is seared with a hot iron. Look at verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Now for years that was understood in church history of uh, erroneous teachings like in Roman Catholicism they would forbid priests to be married. Um, and then uh, like they didn't eat meat on Fridays. That got changed in Vatican II, but they didn't eat meat on Fridays so they'd have fish and stuff. So often that was associated with a religious teaching. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is now becoming more of a, an issue in our culture outside of religion. Forbidding to marry. We have some who are acting like family as God set it up is white privilege. If you have a father and mother and they stick together and they raise their kids in a loving environment, that's white privilege. Even if you're not white, they want to call it white privilege. Let me tell you something, that was ordained by God. Marriage is not um, snobbery. Marriage is not snootiness. Marriage is the normal way God intended things to be. Forbidding to marry and then commanding to abstain from meats. Uh, that's not just within religious circles. Now we have people that they want to govern your life. You can't, you can't eat this kind of food. There are certain cities they've tried to regulate. You can't sell more than a so many ounce soda. You know, and if you have too many uh, uh, polysaturated fats, you can't have that. And they want to, they want to control your life. Culture is getting more and more like that. Where's that coming from? He says it's from seducing spirits. Looking at. Um, the end of verse 3, these meats, these foods that God gave were created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. Every creature of God is good. Nothing to be refused to be received with thanksgiving. It's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. That's one of the reasons we pray before a meal. We're saying to God, thank you for the food. By the way, do you know it wouldn't be sacrilege to pray at the end of your meal. We just customarily begin the meal with prayer. and So 
you know, what if you ate the food and then prayed? That's fine. But the idea is the food, we take time to say, thank you, God, for what you put on our plate. All right, so we, we have here some lies. So there is uh, what I'm calling there a warning of lies to avoid, originated by demons, perpetuated by hypocrites, depriving of liberty. Those are the lies. Originated by demons, perpetuated by hypocrites. They don't even, have you noticed the masked Nazis don't even keep their own rules? I'm sure you've noticed that, right? Uh, perpetuated by hypocrites and then depriving of liberty. Now, that's just to give you some context. Where I want to focus is verses 6 to 8. And that is a way of life to advance. So we have a warning of lies to avoid, and then we have a way of life to advance. And what is the way of life that God's calling for? Verses 6 to 8. This is where I want to focus. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, think with me. Brethren is a synonym for what word? Brothers. Okay, so people that are brothers, I mean, bloodline brothers are related by family, right? So what brothers would Paul be talking to Timothy about? Your brothers in... Yeah, these are fellow Christians, right? If you put the brethren, the fellow Christians, in remembrance of these things, he says you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. What makes a disciple a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined one. If I were to give you one uh, key verse to compare to our text today, I'd have you jot down Acts 6 verse uh, 4. Acts 6 4. The apostles said this, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Interesting, the expression there, give ourselves to, is an addiction. A lot of churches today have programs for people that are addicted. There are all kinds of addictions that you can fall into. Some of you may have dealt with these yourself. You can have food addictions, you can have drug addictions, substance addictions, sexual addictions, pornography addictions, I mean, anger addictions. So a lot of churches have programs like RU, Reformers Unanimous, or otherwise, that are dealing with addictions. Well, let me tell you, there are some addictions you should have. I've got a couple things I'm addicted to. God's Word and prayer. And you know why? I learned it from the example of the Bible. The apostle said, we'll give ourselves. That's like an addict shooting up. That's like a person who, uh, well, I have an addiction that's probably not in the realm of the moral, but I kind of have a sweet tooth addiction too, okay? Um, anybody beside me take two chocolate chip cookies today? Okay. So, you know, so some of my addictions are not defensible, but anyway, I do have these addictions. I, I kind of like my sweets, but that's why I also have to stay busy, okay? But I, I determined as a kid, I'm going to addict myself to the Word of God and prayer. I went, I've gone through Christian history, and I read Christian biographies all the time. You want a great, um, life-changing endeavor, be a person who reads Christian biography. It, it will challenge your life. And I've read biographies of all kinds of famous Christians. I will tell you this, I've noticed this, whether it's uh, John and Charles Wesley or George Whitfield or Mary Slessor or Amy Carmichael or William Borden or Jonathan Goforth, and I could go on and on, D.L. Moody, Anybody that God ever used powerfully, you can mark this down. I've noticed this is a common denominator. They always were people who had a consistent time of studying God's Word and a consistent time of prayer. I've never read of anybody whose life made an impact on this world who didn't have a regular time in prayer and the Word. And that's what the apostles said. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and the Word of God. So the, the keys here to being what God wants you to be spiritually, you might jot down under a way of life to advance A is get nourishment. Get nourishment. Feed up. 
Okay, how many of you have either grown up or worked on a farm or a ranch? Anybody worked on a farm or a ranch? Okay, I worked on a farm in New Jersey. We raised cows, cattle, uh, steers too. One thing you know about animals, you got feeding time, and usually <laughs> about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, and hear the cows across the field, you know, uh, once in a while they get feisty. And they're reminding you, hey, somebody needs to bring out the hay, all right? Somebody needs to bring, put us out to pasture. They got to have food, okay? And if, if a, a milk cow is going to produce milk, and some of these cows, they'll weigh, you know, 1,000 pounds. They, they can produce up to 150 pounds of milk a day. How do they do that? Well, they, they, they got to eat. And it's very interesting. The, the term meditate in the Bible, uh, nourishment, you might jot down. There's one place in all the Bible that tells you how to be a success. Does anybody know what the one verse is that uses the word success? That's right, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's the only time in our English Bible you find the word success. Joshua 1.8. Now, by the way, it is paralleled in places like Psalm 1, verses 2 through 3, says of the godly man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay, so meditate in the word, you'll prosper. Or 1 Timothy 4.15, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. All right, now I'm not just quoting all this scripture to impress you. I'm quoting these scriptures because I've learned these scriptures as the key to my own success in a walk with God. I have no value to you as a mouthpiece if I haven't meditated much in God's Word because it's His Word that's going to change your life. It's not what I think, it's what God says. Interesting, the word meditate. I don't think I ever do a camp without explaining this. If you've heard me preach, you'll remember I'll say this at some point. The word meditate is a synonym for ruminate. And animals that ruminate do what? Chew the cud. Yes, the word meditate means to chew the cud. So when I say the word meditate, I say it like this. Meditate. Meditate. You watch a cow. What do they do out there all day? You know, once in a while, but I mean, most of the time, it's just pretty boring. Most of the time, they moo and they chew. Well, what are they doing? This animal has, well, we've heard they have four stomachs. They actually have four compartments in their stomach. And when a, when a cow ingests hay, alfalfa, timothy, whatever, she'll swallow the hay, and it goes into compartment one. Then it's uh, released a little bit at a time into compartment two. That's where it's formed in the cud, and this is where it gets beautiful. Then she brings it up, and... <laughs> Lovely picture. And uh, she'll chew it and chew it and chew it and chew it because eventually she'll swallow it. It goes into compartments three and four, and that's where it's mixed with different juices and digested. Because you think about this, she may weigh a 1,000 pounds, but what does she eat? Grass and water. You know, where's the beef? She is the beef. She doesn't eat beef. If she ate beef, she'd be a accountable. But you know, okay, bad joke. But anyway, she doesn't eat meat. She is the meat. So how does she get fed? She gets fed off of grass and water. How does she get to be that big? Grass? It's like vegan diet, whatever, okay. Because of this elaborate process of digesting. Okay, sometimes what you and I do is we kind of speed read the Bible. 
holy, holy, holy. I read my Bible. People say, what did you read today? Uh, uh, Genesis uh, 37 it was. Genesis 37, really good. What was that about? Uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, Joseph and the coat of many colors. Good. Good for you. Read your Bible today. Yeah. So what did you get out of it? Uh, what? What did you glean from it? What did you learn? Uh, don't wear a multicolored garment. Your brothers might get jealous and sell you into slavery. Okay, now is that what you're supposed to get out of there? So what happens so often we speed read it. Check mark it. Did it. Read that. But we didn't meditate. Okay, we need to be nourished up in the words of faith. How do you do that? Ah, a couple ways. Let me. I brought some tools from my own life to help you. So last year, I, I got a new Bible. I just bought a. Uh, I bought this paperback. I had been to visit Rock of Ages Prison Ministry when I was up in Cleveland, Tennessee, with a friend of mine, and they gave me a New Testament they had done, and uh, I liked the notes in it. So I went back and I ordered a, a full Bible. And the reason I wanted it, it has the old notes from the, it was called the Pilgrim Study Bible or the New Pilgrim Study Bible. I thought, okay, I'm going to read through my Bible this year, going to mark it up, you know, highlight it, whatever, and I'm going to make notes in it because I've been using the same Bible for years. I'll use it again this year, my, my wide margin. I like to make notes in it. But I thought, I'm going to do a fresh read through the Bible this year. Like the notes, got it. So that's an idea. Get a brand new Bible and read through the whole thing. Or, I mentioned this morning, Reading the book of John changed my life. It was fantastic. Phenomenal endeavor. Phantomenal, right? Uh, phenomenal endeavor. And what I did was just live in it, go through it. Think about this. How many of you, I don't say this to shame you. I just want you to know you're not alone. How many of you have never read through a, uh, or studied through one full book of the Bible? Anybody never read a full book of the Bible? The book of John only has 21 chapters. You can read a chapter in the book of John in about five minutes, five to ten minutes. So think of this. If you read one chapter a day, and there are 21 chapters, do the math here, how many weeks would it take you to read through the book of John? Three weeks. Three times seven. One chapter a day. Read through it. Think about Meditate on it. Write some stuff down. That's where this comes in. I keep a journal. Every, I call this my devotional journal. And uh, in fact, I, I'll finish up this week. So I had, to, I had to have a little addendum, had to add on some pages because I usually fill up two of these a year. And so I'll take some notes. This is how I meditate. Jonathan Edwards, who was so used of God during the Second Great Awakening in our country, he said, my father taught me to do my thinking with a pen in hand. My father taught me to do my thinking with a pen in hand. It's amazing how often you'll write a simple thought and it'll become more of a thought and more of a thought. And I was just preparing my introductory, or actually my conclusion remarks for uh, Who is Jesus earlier today. Kind of rewrote the conclusion. And I just started writing simple stuff out. And I thought, well, I like that. And it started flowing. Because simple thoughts written down will really become more crystallized thoughts. That's part of how you meditate. In fact, so you, so you don't forget it. Would you all say meditate with me like a cow? See, what I'll do is I'm going to look at this side here, and I'll have you all say it with me. And I will tell you this, if you don't participate, I'll have you come up and do a solo, okay? So I want you all, because I want you to get this in your mind. So this side here, let's all say meditate, ready? Meditate. Okay, so I'm going to check this side here, all right? Same thing. You want a solo, don't do it, okay? But otherwise, say it with me here. Let's try it. Meditate. 
means to chew the cud of truth. So a great way is get a simple binder. Now, by the way, I spend like 16 bucks on these decent ones. You can get one of those composition notebooks for a buck. Go to Walmart or one of those places and get a simple composition book, but write stuff down. And every, every day in my notebook, I have three R's. I have read, reflect, and remember. Okay, read, I write down what chapters I read. Reflect is where I write down my devotional pondering, my meditation. And then remember, that would be my journal entry, or for you girls, that would be your diary entry, okay? I write down what God's doing, what He's teaching me, and, uh, and I do this oh, every day. I've, sometimes I'll catch up the next day. Like, uh, let's see, i got my Christmas one in here. And I had, uh, on Christmas Day, I read Haggai. There's only two chapters. Uh, Revelation 13 and 14, and a little section out of Proverbs. And I wrote comments on Luke 2. I said, had, had some great family discussion before opening presents today. Read the Luke 2 account of Jesus' birth and discussed some of the impossible things that had to happen for Jesus to fulfill the Messianic prophecies. Really gratifying discussion that provoked truly grateful hearts in all of us. I didn't write a lot on Christmas Day, but I'm getting my mind to think on things above. Okay, so read, reflect, and remember. By the way, you could add another R in there. It would be request. I'll get to this in a minute. I, I put my request, my prayer request, in a little book this size. And I'll talk about that in a minute to uh, talk about the exercise part. But get nourishment. Okay, so how do you get nourishment? You read the Word. You meditate on it. To meditate on it, you really need to memorize it. Okay, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Let's say, um, let's say Brother Mike Kerbster and I were in Ringgold and we were going to do some visiting. <clears throat> so... Maybe we're out with some people here from um, Brother Forster's church, Kingsway Baptist, and we're going out and say, hi, we're from Kingsway Baptist Church, and, you know, knocked on the door, and, and uh, we start talking to him about the Lord. He says, hi, I'm Mike, this is Rich. And, and all of a sudden, he, he says, do you guys have a church home? No, you know, we'd love to invite you to ours, but the real thing we'd like to talk to you about is why we even go to church. Have you ever thought about after this life is over, where are you going to go forever? Maybe he says, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men, and all of a sudden I put my hand over his mouth and he can't talk. And he says, Rich, what are you doing? He said, Brother Mike, you can't say that. Say what? Hebrews 9.27, what are you talking about? Well, because, remember, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You can't say that. Okay, is that what it means? We can't quote, by, if so, I'm busted, okay? We, I'm in trouble if you can't quote the Bible, right? You all know that, duh, obviously it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? This book of the law shall not depart out of the mouth. That's why you need to understand the picture of a cow chewing the cud. <laughs> I met a lady in Wisconsin one time. She said, oh, I saw it happen, honey, one time. I was talking about the cow coughing up the cud. And if they, <laughs> if they spell the cud from their mouth. It doesn't do them any good if the cud's lying on the ground. She said, oh yeah, one winter I saw a cow cough. It's kind of like hawking a loogie. <laughs> cough, and the cud's lying on the ground, and it's smoldering there. And she said, no honey, it doesn't do them any good if it's on the ground. Well, I kind of knew that, all right? But the idea is this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So how do you get it in your mind? How do you get it in your mouth? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So how do you get that for your direction? Thy word have I hid where? In my heart, that I might not sin against thee. That's in um, Psalm 119.11. So you got to memorize God's Word. Okay, so that's another key, memorizing Scripture. I often will preach a message, a whole message on memorizing. I'm curious, how many of you have ever heard an entire message on memorizing the Word of God? 
Anybody ever hear an entire message? Okay, a few of you have. I'm amazed we hear so little of it. I want to tell you, if I'm in a church and I'm preaching on um, freedom and responsibility, and let's say I talk about the privilege of being an American and I get going on First Amendment, you know, we have the right to free exercise of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly. And the First Amendment is backed up by the Second Amendment. And the Second Amendment is that we have the right to bear arms, and that was not an amendment to protect hunters so they could go hunting. It was so people could own uh, weapons to protect them from unjust government. And I'll tell you, I'll get some guys saying amen on that that'll say amen on nothing else. Amen, brother. Amen. You should see my gun cabinet preacher. You want to come see my gun cabinet? I got some nice one. I got an AR-15 in there, brother. I got me a 30-odd six. Got me a 9-millimeter in there. You should see my Glock. And, you know, they got stacks of ammo. Now, I'll tell you something. I defend everyone's right to own and possess weapons. But I want to say something. Well, that's important, and I'm grateful for it. That's for the possibility of an uprising that may or may not come. But I want to tell you something. You're going to face an assault on your soul that happens every day of your life. It's assault on your mind, your will, your affections. And it comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I want to know how well armed are you for that battle? That's why you need to memorize the Word of God. I'm all for you having your gun case and all for you having your ammo. But you're facing a battle every day and I wonder, are you armed? What good would a pistol do me if I didn't have any bullets in the clip? And what good does knowing going to church have for my life if I haven't put any bullets in the clip? i got to hide God's Word in my heart and mind. Every day I have my little list of things that I... I, I do as disciplines. Now let me just say, there's a balance in all this. I recently heard a nationally known speaker, and I think he meant well, but he said something that at first I thought was good, and then I thought, wait a minute, I don't, no, I don't agree with that conclusion. He was saying, I remember going to, a, I think he said, a teen camp when I was younger, and I, you know, I made a commitment like a lot of people, I'm going to have my devotions, and he said, I tried to be very diligent about having devotions, and he said it was all rather a legalistic endeavor. He said, after a while, I got frustrated because I couldn't keep going on my devotions. So he said, I kind of just gave up. And for a while, I felt like a second-class Christian. He said, but after a while, I thought, oh, you know what? It's not about having your devotions. It's about a life devoted to God. It's about a relationship with God. And I thought, that's good. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, I preach Christianity is not religion. It's a relationship with Christ. So he said, I focus more on the relational than I did the, um, the devotion thing. At first, I thought, yeah, I, I, I kind of get that. And then I thought, well, why does that not sit well with me? Well, because you do it every day. No, that wasn't why. I've been married 28 years. My wife is Angela. I love her more than I ever have. We have a wonderful marriage, great kids. We live in a 43-foot travel trailer. We've never owned a house. We travel in evangelism. And when we're back at our home church, we just plug in at the church. I mean, our house is a trailer. Our kids are like 40 feet down the hall. They've never been real far from us, right? So we live in tight quarters. It's amazing. I'll be home. I'll often do my study in the trailer. My daughter's doing homeschool, and I'm propped up in the chair with some earbuds to block out a Beck Academy because I'm doing, you know, my study and whatever. There are times we'll come to the end of the night, and my wife and I'll prop up our pillows against the headboard, and we'll just talk. We've been in the same trailer all day. We go to church together. My wife and girls are every bit involved in my ministry. They do children's ministry. We're, we're together all the time. But there are times Angela and I make time to talk. You know why? Although we've been together all day, we have not communicated. I'm with God all the time. You can't go anywhere you're not with God. But I want to ask you, how much communicating do you do with God? 
You're not going to communicate with them if you don't make time to do it. You have to make time. So I keep this little checklist. I started this back in the year 2000, so I've been doing this for 20 plus years. And uh, I call it goals. Goals 2021, this was. And every day, I've got about seven things I check off here. Now, please, I'm not telling you this so you think, oh, I've got to get all seven. I've got to do that. Look, if you'll start with the Word of God, if you'll just start with a daily discipline of being in the Bible, that will change your life. If I got you doing nothing else, Mary and Martha hosting Jesus one day, came fast as the when he entered into a certain village, a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care? My sister hath left me to serve alone. Better, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, what was Martha doing that was wrong? Not doing anything wrong. She was serving the Lord. Problem was, she's so busy serving the Lord, she was neglecting to spend time with the Lord. See, before God works through a person, He first works in a person. Martha said, would you tell her to do something? She's just sitting there. Oh, she's like Martha, the dishes can wait. We won't always have Jesus in our house. And he said, one thing is needful. This is not the preacher's opinion. I'm telling you what Jesus said. One thing is needful. What was it? Mary chose it. Sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing His Word. Luke 10, 38-42. Not my opinion. It's what He said. If you did nothing from this message but start having daily time in the Word of God, you will not be the same person a month from now, two months from now, that you were before you started that endeavor. That one discipline will change your life. So i got about seven on here. One is study Scripture. I never let a day go by without that. Prioritize prayer. So read the Bible, pray. Memorize Scripture. Now, I am not, like some of my evangelist friends are machines when it comes to memorizing Scripture. How many of you have ever heard Dr. Getch preach? John Getch. Brother Getch is a machine of memorizing. He works on it about 45 minutes a day. I don't have 45 minutes a day to work on Scripture. But I try to do about five minutes. And I don't mean like I set the clock like, go, okay, ding, okay. But I just try before I go to bed at night, memorize Scripture, and I, I work on review, review, review. So I'm not real good at that. Well, if I told you to go bench press 225 pounds and you were a person who doesn't normally touch weights, you're not doing it. But those of you like, 225, no problem, dude. Well, you've been working out for a while, okay, if you're at that point. You build up strength. You build up mental strength, too. What if you memorized one verse a week? If you memorize one verse of the Bible a week, you'd know 52 verses by the end of the year. One verse a week. Man, I don't know if I can learn 52 verses. I know kids that learn 52 verses in a week at camp. But you know, not most kids, some kids. What if you memorized a verse a month? You'd know a dozen new verses next year. Okay, so memorize Scripture. I do a lot of review on that. So study Scripture, prioritize prayer, memorize Scripture, witness daily. Now, I don't, often get to go through the whole plan of salvation every day. But I'm trying at least to give out tracts or somehow engage in people. Yesterday, I'm traveling seven and a half hours on the road. So when I stopped at uh, gas stations, I'm at the Circle K getting my Polar Pop. You know, I go in there and say, uh, hey, I want to give you something. And I give a little tract called The Importance of One. And I said to the lady, hey, I'm a preacher. You know, we got a new year coming up. I want to give you this. It's the best news for the new year. Simple like that. 
Witness daily. Read daily. I'm talking about in addition to my Bible. Like uh, right now, I'm work, I always work on a couple books at a time. I'm reading this really great history book called The Story of Liberty by Charles Coffin. And I learned so much from history. You can probably tell in my preaching. I'm doing another one called Understanding End Times Prophecy. This is about future events. Eschatology. I'm usually reading a couple books at a time. Just read a chapter or so a day. And so I'm doing that for my own advancement. And then um, exercise daily. And I am not the, I have never been a runner. I loathe running. But I, all I do is travel and eat, so I have to stay active. So I carry with me one of those total gyms, like the Chuck Norris, you know, thing, the sliding thing. I can carry that in my trailer, in my truck, and I set it up in a church Sunday school room somewhere. I try to do that four or five days a week just to stay limber. Uh, I, I love golf. I play golf. I usually like to walk, or I'll rollerblade, or I'll go ride a bike, or we like pickleball. I like tennis. Uh, I, something to stay active. Now, the Scripture says, in fact, we should go back to the Bible because that's why we're here. 1 Timothy 4, 7, notice, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, made-up stories, and exercise thyself rather unto what? Godliness. You know what godliness is? Remember in school when you learned um, L-Y endings, godly, for instance, L-Y means like. So godly means like who? Like God, godliness, exercise yourself unto godliness. For bodily exercise, physical workouts, profit little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Now wait a minute, godly, bodily exercise profits little. That means you shouldn't do it? No, you know, eating chocolate chip cookies doesn't profit a whole lot, but I'm still doing it, okay? I enjoy that, right? No, bodily exercise has some benefit to it. Because if my body is broken down, I can't come to camp. If I don't stay, I take vitamins and stuff every day because if I'm not healthy, I can't stand in front of you and minister to you spiritually. But some of you have 45-minute, hour-long workouts for your body, but let me ask you, what kind of workout do you have for your soul? I'll do my 45-minute total gym workout. You know, I'll go walk the golf course, but I'd feel pretty bad if I weren't spending some meaningful time in prayer every day and in meditating in God's Word every day, because that's really what profits forever. The body will eventually break down. What I've realized, for some of you who are older, getting older like me now, I realize, hey, you know, it's going downhill physically, but the Scripture says, though the outward man perish, the inward man's renewed day by day. I can't do the same reps, you know, I can't do the same regimen that I've always done physically, but, but I'll tell you what, Lord willing, I'm stronger spiritually than I was in my 20s. Stronger spiritually than I was in my 30s and my 40s. My focus is on, yeah, I don't want this body to break down. I really would like to stay active. My son-in-law and I, Christmas Eve day, we were out playing golf, and we, the Navy base in Pensacola, free golf. You could walk all you wanted. We walked 27 holes in four and a half hours. I really don't want to be the guy who's you know, barely able to do that when I'm 60. I'm 55. I'll keep going. But I want to tell you something. There's something way more important than being physically capable. That's to be godly. And you're not going to be godly by accident. It's on choice. It's by choice, by discipline. So it, it's not doing these things that makes me godly. It's loving Christ and drawing on His power. It's communion with Him. That, that means communication. It means open intercourse with Him, dialogue with Him, communication with Him. What are you going to do in the next year that's going to see to it that you're more of a godly person than you were in 2021? Oh, no trying to give you some ideas. My prayer list, I, every year I, I'll do it this week, I sit down during bowl games 
How do you make bowl games a spiritual endeavor? Oh, I found out a way to do it. Uh, I'll sit down, pull up ESPN on my iPad there, and I will re I'll transfer all my prayer requests for the year. And I put them in here. The very first thing I ever pray for is revival. And so I'll have it on there, revival, and me, my family, Eagle Heights, my church, my college I went to, churches across the country. And then I'll put January through June on one side, and then I'll flip it over. And later on, I'll write July through uh, December on the other side. And I, tip, I like to walk and pray. So, and I'll, I'm a night owl. I'm not your typical person because I, I work nights. So I'm second shift guy, okay? So my meetings in churches are, you know, they, we go to supper and then we have pre-service prayer meeting. Then we, have a, then we have a service and we never leave the church before 9 o'clock and I'm never home before 9.30 or whatever. And then I'm wired up. So I'll, I'll go do my workout. And then I'll take a walk and pray. And I often will have my headlamp on because it's late. And sometimes I'll be out praying at midnight. And I'll walk the church property or if the neighborhood's not real threatening, I'll walk the neighborhood. <laughs> Most people aren't going to mess with a 6'6 guy. And so I'll, I'll go out and walk and pray. And I'll take my little list. And then every day when I pray for somebody or something, I'll write that down. So I, I have pastors on here. In fact, uh, some of these kids from Worth Baptist were saying, hey, thanks for praying for us. I did yesterday, in fact. And Pastor Jill, it's on my list. Let me see where this is. And so I was driving yesterday, and I, I was kind of looking at my list. Okay, here it was. And uh, so I had a friend of mine, Mark Carpenter, pastors Heritage Baptist in Woodbridge, Virginia. And then Tyler Gillett, Worth Baptist. And then John Getcher Jr. is in Faith Baptist in Yuma, Arizona. So those three are on one card here. And so what I do is I'll, I'll pray over them. So how do I pray? Lord, please help these men have a strong relationship with you. Help them to abide in Christ. Lord, give Brother Tyler, give him meaningful insight into your word. Help Brother Getch. Help him to think your thoughts after you. Help him to have a heart for you. Lord, protect their marriages. Give them wisdom with their kids. And then I'm on to the next person. Sometimes it's just, remember Paul said, making mention of you in my prayers? And then there are times that people are in really bad straits. Like, Lord, so-and-so is in the hospital and he's on life support right now because he's got it really bad with COVID and we need a breakthrough from heaven. There was a friend out in California that, that just happened. He was my age, and he was, in, he was in the hospital for like two months, intubated. It did not look good. They were telling him, prepare for the worst. They brought his, uh, his daughters were at Bob Jones. They flew him home from Bob Jones to California and said, you better see your dad because we don't think he's going to make it. I mean, it was that bad. And I had been doing meetings there that week uh, when this was all going on, and I never knew how it happened. So last week, that was two months ago, Last week, the youth pastor wrote to me and said, I just want you to know, Brother Jeff is out of the hospital. He's home. He's doing great. It was a miracle. Okay? So there are times when I'm praying, and a lot of times as an evangelist, I'm not around for weeks later, so I don't even know how it ever turned out. Hey, hey how's uh, so-and-so? Well, they died. You know, I didn't know, so I've been praying for dead people for a while. Uh, I, I, you know, sometimes I'm a little behind the curve on catching up. But I want to tell you something. I try to pray every day. Okay. Now, I'm not godly because I pray. I pray because I would like to grow in my walk with God. I want to be godly. I'm not godly because I read the Bible every day. But I'm not going to be godly without reading the Bible. That's why I do it. I'll finish with this quote. It's really good. And you might want to think about these words. We cannot become spiritual all at once. We must be content to begin like babes, like babies. Spiritual maturity and strength do not come by effort, but by growth. And growth is the result of getting nourished up by proper food. But if we don't grow by effort, it's important to remember we do not grow without exercise. 
Huh, notice the theme in there. Feed up, work out. How do you work out? Soul winning, witnessing, testifying, praying, serving. So I want to ask you, you come to camp a year from now, next year, winter, winter retreat. What kind of kid are you going to be next year? It's all going to depend on what you put in your body. I'm not just talking about junk food or healthy food. I'm talking about spiritually. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Daily disciplines. Nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life.